he really wants that and he really wants that and he really wants that. And I'm like, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. He's going to love the way this ends. Welcome to Christ in All Things, a conversation about meaning and purpose. It's based on a Bible verse, Colossians 1:17, which says, Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ in All Things is a listening ear into conversations about receiving and giving the love and hope of Christ. And these conversations, they are an invitation because as you'll hear, and as much as we enjoy having them, digital media operates from a distance. And that is not what's best for us, with God or with one another. So thanks for listening. And if you're in the neighborhood, we invite you to participate in person in the life that finds its epicenter at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Christ in All Things. I'm your host, Pastor Jason Schockman. With me today is my co-host, Pastor Lance O'Donnell. Greetings and salutations. And a dear friend, uh, Colin David Murdy, uh, who is the CEO, founder, and uh, owner of the Murdy Creative Company, uh, a member at St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, uh, a young man that I've known for more than half of his life uh, since he was in the fifth grade, uh, Colin David Murdy. Hello. That's all we get is a hello. Now, Not, hi, Reverend. How are you doing? Oh, wow. Now, I miss good old days with the friars and reverends. There were such great names for you guys. Yeah. That's just pastor. Yeah, pastor works yeah, just I, fine, I, though. I know. Yeah? Okay. That works. So, um, Colin, I've known you, as I mentioned, for more than half your life. Uh, I was thinking about that on the way up. Uh, and that allows, that, that long-term pastoral relationship uh, allows for us to be able to talk about and be very real about uh, things that are quite challenging and quite hard sometimes. Uh, and you and I, over the course of your life, have had many of those conversations, uh, in part uh, because not only have I known you for a long time, but in a lot of ways, you and I are cut from a very similar cloth, um, which is we, something we've talked about before. Uh, so how are you? Well, I have been better. It's been a tough couple of months. I mean, it's been a couple of tough couple of years as a small business owner. I think, yeah. you know, it's never supposed to be easy, right? It's kind of, that's like what, that's the Abrahamic call to adventure is that the overall, you know, leave your father's tent and go to Egypt is, or go to the land I promised you is a pretty serious call. And I think we're all called to that adventure, but sometimes that adventure is really tough and it's been really, really tough as of late. And, uh, and that's, that's tough. <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Colin, because um, this is a bonus episode for us. Oh, I'm a bonus. At, you are a bonus <laughs> in at, more Christ, ways at Christ in all things. Because, uh, you know, I, well, what I want to do, we want to break from our typical format Excellent. with these. And uh, I want to read you something that I wrote and then let you respond to it. And he's going to, he's going to, Pastor Shockman's going to moderate the conversation. And, and to be clear, I don't know what this says. Even better. He has not shared it even, with me. Yet. Even better. So I want, I want to read you. This is, this is a two-page letter that I wrote to you and your team yesterday. Aww. Dear Colin and the Murdy Creative Company team, I had ADHD before it was cool. <laughs> Sometimes I'm very empathetic and creative. Sometimes I can laser focus. Sometimes I'm easily distracted. I am often very aware of the world around me, the sights and the sounds. I can most often fairly easily get the feel of a room. But when I was young, the distractibility, especially in subjects that didn't have my high interest, limited me. Though reasonably intelligent, I couldn't get stellar grades, in part because I had a hard time sustaining big projects. My incredibly supportive parents saw my empathy, talent, and intelligence and wanted me to have the tools to succeed. In high school, I used the same planning tool that was big on Wall Street, the Franklin Planner. I discovered that writing things down helped. A high school science teacher 
in a unit to help us prepare for college recommended taking handwritten notes and then typing them as soon as possible afterwards. When I did it, it worked really well. The handwriting focused my words, helped me listen for keys. The typing helped me organize and retain. After a five-year post-college stint in public service, I began a high-intensity graduate school program. The combination of a subject of great interest with tactile handwritten notes and the typing of and collaborative sharing of those notes was part of a largely successful six-plus years of graduate study. After re-entering the working world, I largely put away my pen for the keys of my computer. I still used the Franklin Planner, but it began to wane. Then there was the HP Personal Digital Assistant, PDA, that I got from my brother, which I used in conjunction with my then flip phone. Then came the smartphone, the marvelous combination of the PDA and the phone, calendar, searchable notes, text, phone calls, email, music, amazing. I wrote by hand less and less. It was so much easier and, in many respects, more efficient to type. But then a handwritten note by my cousin began to open my eyes. The note took such effort to take the time to write, to think things through and handwrite a note of encouragement, to look up my address and write it on an envelope, to stamp and snail mail it, all made it very special. That note helped me rediscover the utility of handwriting. I was addicted to the ease of my smartphone, but I began to see the necessity of handwriting. I returned to handwriting notes for meetings and typing them up for storage and organization. This led me to consider bound journals. I was taken aback at first by the cost of a moleskin journal, but I found myself conducting a cost-benefit analysis of handwriting, and thus also of a good pen and good paper. I hungered for a hybrid solution that had the tactile engagement of pen and paper and the utility and efficiency of digital storage. I began to see ads for these really sexy, old-school leather journals by the Murdy Creative Company. And finally, I bit the bullet and got a gorgeous Murdy Number no. 2 folio. What is it about the feel of a fine leather journal? It's hard to explain. I remember back in college, a Renaissance man of a roommate introduced me to jazz pianist McCoy Tyner and jazz saxophonist John Coltrane. Mind you, I was raised on Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond, who are fun, but Tyner and Coltrane were a revelation. Soon thereafter, we traveled to New York City to visit my buddy's grandfather, godfather, I should say. We had dinner in the village and we were walking down the street when my friend about went out of his mind, pointed to a small marquee, and exclaimed, McCoy Tyner's playing here tonight. The next thing I knew, I was drinking a Manhattan in the village, literally next to the great jazz pianist McCoy Tyner. It was simultaneously of the earth and ethereal, wonderful. Writing in a moleskin journal is very satisfying and helpful, like listening to McCoy Tyner on the stereo. Writing with an excellent pen in a moleskin that is wrapped in a Murdy Creative Company journal is like listening to McCoy Tyner live at a little piano bar in the village with a Manhattan in your hand. Design makes a difference. Design brings beauty to function. The Murdy Creative Company journals remind us that the world is beautiful. Writing even a daily task in a Murdy journal or folio elevates it from the mundane. To live on this earth is difficult and capricious, majestic and marvelous. To own a Murdy journal, I have found, is to embrace the good earth. Colin, thanks to your team for making products that bring beauty to our world. You have helped me to rediscover creative writing. Your products have wrapped even mundane daily tasks in beauty. By encouraging me to write by hand, your products have helped me to be more attentive and productive, more thoughtful and creative. Is not all of this a gift of God? Yours in Christ, 
Reverend Lance Armstrong O'Donnell. P.S. Originally handwritten in the Murdy number two folio. Oh, wonderful. You know, it's interesting to compare something like leather to jazz. I was thinking about this as you were reading this because the good earth, you're so right. I was, people always ask me, what is it about leather? That's a good question. And it's tasty. Well, it is tasty. Um, it has such a tactile connection to our history. It's, you don't get better than when we're talking about like things that are built into our DNA. It's so hard to miss that journal is part of that, that leather is part of that history, right? I mean, what was it? Adam and Eve got animal skins for their clothes, right? Right. First clothing was animal skins. I mean, other than the ones they made for themselves, which are terrible. So, you know, it seems like God works in leather when he makes clothing. So, you know, this is where when we talk about the worlds we live in, even looking around this room, the wood on the edges is all machined. The sheetrock that make up the walls made by machines perfectly built with meticulous precision, identical in every way to every other piece of sheetrock that comes off that line. The, the couches, the fabrics, everything is artificial. Our, we live in these artificial worlds. We don't touch, there's this like classic line on the internet, go touch grass, right? turn off your computer and go touch grass, and it's, this, it's used as this kind of insult for people who spend too much time on their computers. But there's a reality to it that is Wait. deep. There are, there are people who spend too much time on their computers? Well, I don't know any personally. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so I've heard. And I think that that leather has a deep, like, genetic part of our life. And I love it. I love working with it. It is fickle to work with because people have a perception about perfection in their things. People want perfect things. And leather... To make perfect leather is virtually impossible. Every piece of leather has something that mirrors the life of the cow. I was going to say because every piece of leather is actually the hide of whatever whatever life the animal that lived in it lived. Absolutely. So the cow that walked through or walked a little too close to the barbed wire is going to leave a really nice scar on that leather that you try to make a folio out of. It's interesting because I was thinking about this when I, we, we first launched, launched our rugged line back in February, and it was specifically designed to showcase those parts of the hide, which we've always prided ourselves in being an excellent quality. You know, we really, I mean, everything, all the leather is all made in the United States, in Milwaukee, actually. Our hardware comes from California. It's all custom made for us. So we have a, a really strong belief that the quality is, is the foundation of what we do, and because of that, we've often avoided parts of the leather that we know are good quality leather, but would not be perceived as such. And then we launched our rugged line, in part because we were seeing an enormous rising cost of our materials, and we wanted to say, how can we be more responsible with this leather? How can we use more of these hides? And people have really liked the rugged line. It's really brought, I think, a lot of people into an understanding that leather in its imperfection is beautiful. And I mean, I think that that's it's a little bit like how we are, right? I think there's a certain level of beauty and imperfection, and obviously there's much greater beauty in God's perfection, but the leather is great in that regard. It means something akin to, um, I can boast all the more in my weakness. Yeah, right, a thorn in your side. Because <laughs> in, my, in my weakness, his, his strength, God's strength, is made perfect. Absolutely. Or shown to be perfect, right? Where, where I'm weak, he's strong. I was I was struck by and I've been thinking about this for some time because I took my I took a couple of my journals. We did a three week trip uh, in June and July all the way to the Pacific Ocean and back to Wisconsin. And I took my journal with me. And I know I, I know I think I sent you a picture. It's a great photo from West Yellowstone with me holding my my little folio up with the with the mountains in the background and the sunrise, I was up early in the morning making, having my coffee. And I, I, I am, there was a threshold. I mean, I got my first folio as a gift, but I immediately invested in, in some others. And it, it struck me, it's nice to get a gift 
you know, I, I don't know that the, the gift, for example, that I got for my daughter, she appreciates nearly as much as the one I bought for myself. Like I spent serious money to make, to get one of these really high quality things um, in, in which I, I hand record the, my, the events of my life, the things I need to do and, and some really long-term writing projects that I, that I've taken up there. There's something about, I mean, I, I made, I didn't realize this at first, I made an investment in myself and I'm, I was kind of struck by how important that is. Yeah. It is interesting how there's, I mean, I could cite all of the studies that talk about how writing is writing physically with hand is deeply important for mental health. And it allows for us to be, uh, to express things in a unique way. But I think my one of, you know, Dr. Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson once talked about how it's really hard for people to think in their head and how most people actually think is in dialogue. People have a conversation with another person because it's to, to think, we think we think in our head. Like we, we like, I think in my head, but we're dialoguing with ourselves in our head when we're thinking. That's normally how we do it is we have a conversation with ourselves around a topic. Even that in and of itself though is limited by kind of the, the internals of your brain, which are very abstract oftentimes. They're very ethereal. They don't have a lot of substance to them. And so it's hard when you're not negotiating or discussing with something with substance to have a foundation to work off of from a th thought perspective. But when you write in a journal, when you write something down, you will you'll be shocked at what you write down. You'll be surprised. Something will come out of the tip of your pen and you'll look at it and you'll read it again. And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think of that till it happened, right? You, you'll write about your day. And it's, shock it's funny, I had a method of writing that I had been doing for a long time where I would journal, kind of a form that I used. I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit personally recently, but I had a form that I would use and I would write a couple of specifics about a couple of specific topics throughout the day. And it would be funny because I would, I would write things down and I didn't realize they were important until I wrote them down. I wrote them down and I'm like, why did I write that down? Why did that come up? Right? Why was that the thing that I chose to write down? And it's not like I write you know, the, the stream of consciousness. I'm not quite that like avant-garde about it right it's a little more structured than that right I do write things on purpose but at the same time there's a lot of times where you'll write something down and it'll be as if you are thinking it's as if you're having a conversation with yourself and it's one of the only places in the modern world where you can be honest this is the this is the downside of tech right this is the dark side of tech and by the way everything I'm saying everyone knows there's nobody who pretends like they actually have any sort of privacy anymore right I know Jeff Bezos is listening to me right now I know Tim Cook is listening to me right now, and I know all of their friends at the Alphabet agencies are listening to me right now because we are surrounded and by microphones. And they'll listen again when we publish it on the internet. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely, right? And by the way, <laughs> Snowden told us this, right? Like, I'm not like, it's not like <laughs> me just conspiracy theory. Like, we've had the tech to do this for decades, right? Of course we've been doing it. So when can you be honest with yourself if you're always being listened to and of course, there's the classic line from when they passed the Patriot Act. Well, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing, you know, you should have no problem with that. And it's like, well, okay, but that's not really how we think of things, right? There are times when, we, when we're not sure exactly what we think or we're not exactly sure what we feel about something. And sometimes we need to think it through a little bit or have a little bit, we need to get it wrong first before we get it right. I mean, that's how, like, that's how all the great heresies come about, right? You walk yourself out on a limb and then you realize you're way out on a limb, right? So you, you have to walk through them before you can, you, like, you have to walk through the logic before you realize it's a heresy, right? You, it's, it's hard. Sometimes you can spot them from the beginning, but not always, right? Right. And so I think in this regard, it's so easy to, and I think we've actually created, we've incentivized a world where you lie to everybody all the time. Whether it's in Instagram and f social media where you put up the very best photos that have been filtered and you come up with the best commentary or whether it's, you know, it, we just create these lies and we surround themselves. And the problem is we tell them to ourselves so often that eventually the lie is the truth, right? The lie becomes the truth. Yeah, we believe them. And this goes back to, uh, what was it? Um, our Gulag Archipelago. What the, Solzhenitsyn wrote, uh, live not by lies, right? That was his whole thing. Oh, yeah. And that was the foundation. First off, live not by lies is so good. It's so well written and it's terrifying yeah. to read it now because it's... Oh, Rod Dreher is relatively new book yeah yeah and there is a and it's based off the speech that he wrote that, that uh, um Solzhenitsyn's final letter yeah, before he was exactly exactly and there is a great um 
there's a great line if you go watch the HBO Chernobyl series. Oh. When the first off, it's an excellent series. I really loved it. They did a really good job with it. But one of the things that happens right off the bat when the ex- reactor is exploding, and it's very obvious to anybody who has any sort of like eyes at the moment, they're like that. They're I can tell you it's exploded because I can see the opening. It's like the roof's gone, right? So it's like you can't deny it. And everybody above the people on the front lines is denying it. This can't be happening. This couldn't happen. This can't happen. And then... Therefore, it's not happening. Therefore, it's not happening. The old man comes into the room with the Politburo and stands up after this whole discussion is being happening. All these young party members, he stands up and he goes, what's the name of this? And it's obviously, I think the Leon, Leonard Trotsky, I believe, was the name of the reactor or the full name of it or something like that. It was one of the founders. Or maybe it's Stalin, actually. And he says, we need to shut this down so that we can prevent the spread of misinformation. And I just heard that and I'm just like, oh, okay, so we're, we're just going to keep doing this. Like, we're just going to keep playing this again, right? And I thought to myself, I'm like, the only time that reality can be told in an environment where you're always being watched is in private. And the only place to have any privacy is in a written journal because otherwise, if it's typed out on a computer, somebody can find it. There is nothing secure in the world that's typed. But I can write whatever I want in my journal. And honestly, it's far harder to hack my journal than it is to hack my phone now. So I think there's something freeing about journaling. And it's hard to it's hard to express that to people. It's not just the writing for me, as I've been thinking about it. it it's that, but it's, it, it's also, quite frankly, the effort. Yes. And this is what I alluded to when I read, you know, I thought my, my cousin's note to me, which I will keep forever. I mean, he wrote a handwritten, it was, there, there's something about the effort that goes into, you're involving all these senses, the work that goes into it. There, there is something about the writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I notice you do, you know, when, when you walk in the pulpit, you, I mean, I know you type, but I see a lot of handwritten stuff, mm-hmm. you know, with squigglies and stuff oh, all yeah. over it. I mean, that would be a fun study just to look oh, at yeah. your stuff. Well, <laughs> I mean, so, <laughs> um, I don't go into the pulpit without a full manuscript. Wait, what? You not having a full manuscript and just kind of firing a little bit? Nope, I what? don't. Uh, I take a full <laughs> manuscript with me into the pulpit. And I, over the years, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years. Um, y- you are not the only one who has challenged me to preach without a manuscript. But I always go back to it. I try, I'll try it. I've tried it before. I'll try it again at some point, I'm sure. But I always go back to it. And I always go back to it not because... Um, I'm afraid or because I don't think I can memorize it or, uh, for any other reason than, um, I, <laughs> I know when my ooh shiny kicks in, right. Uh, and we all kind of have that in this room. Yes. Right. When my ooh shiny kicks in, I don't want to go off on some tangent and then not know how to get back to the thing that I was really trying to share from this text of the word of God that is presented to us. And so for me, it's the, it's just the present reminder. And so I've gone through that manuscript enough with a pencil in hand, making little squigglies and jotting things down and writing in the margins such that I'm not even reading the words on the page as much as I am glancing down to pick up the visual cues about what's coming next or what I wanted to move there. Um, And then there was that classic moment uh, in the Advent sermon series this past year when uh, the, the full this past year, meaning this was the end of 2020, December, 2022, Yes, December of 2022 uh, when the, the fold of the sleeve of my alb caught my manuscript and flipped it off of the pulpit. It hasn't happened yet? It did. You talked about December of 2022? No, uh, 2021. December of 2021. 2021, forgive me. Yeah, we're in 2020. It could happen again, right? Yeah. And so here here I am realizing that uh, all of my visual cues about what's next are now floating down to the ground. And I, I... I got to where the end of what my brain remembered was next. And then I just looked at it. And by that time you were already moving uh, and had picked it up and handed it back to me, which I was very grateful for. So thank you for saving my hide. Um, No pun intended. Or intended. Um, Right. So for me, it's that, that writing helps ingrain, 
right? That writing on the manuscript helps ingrain in my brain what it is that I want to say, or the, the process of handwriting a manuscript, and often mine are handwritten entirely, um, where the process of writing uh, in its entirety through that thought process, through that manuscript, uh, r- really does solidify what it is that I want to say. What is the one thing that I want to pull out of that text and deliver to God's people? Um, you know, it's funny how handwriting becomes such an important part because when we think about our handwriting, we don't think of it as art. Like we don't think of it as an artistic expression. I mean, we think of what we write as artistic. We think of, you know, that idea that it's like, oh, I'm going to use, I'm a, I'm a words craftsman. And so my art is writing in the words I use. When We don't think about the fact that when you make those marks on the paper, that is its own ex- form of artistic expression. In fact, it's one of the most fundamental forms of artistic expression that is in the accessible reach of everyone Colin, all the time. Colin, you, Colin you just told us we were artists. You well, are. What you, what you might argue, because language is, I mean, it's an interesting comment, because language is inherent, that it is the fundamental artistic expression. Yes, and I think when you look at, when I was in, in seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. One of the teachers did not like my handwriting. And, you know, fair enough. And I didn't like my handwriting after she said it. And I said, okay, I'm going to write in all caps. Because my mother will tell you, I still don't know what words should be capitalized and shouldn't be capitalized to this day. I mean, I understand. Like, I can write, list you off. Like, oh, it's proper nouns. It plays. No, it's like, I get that. But it's, it's, that's not always the case. And there's sometimes where you emphasize, you, like, anyway, moral of the story. So I didn't know how to capitalize words properly. And so I just started writing in all caps all the time. And I've done that to this day. And people will always be like, wow, your handwriting looks so great. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, this was on purpose because I wanted to have my handwriting look good. And it was an intentional act that I did. It was an intentional choice to become, to use this type of writing. But I'm so glad I did it because when you start to think of your handwriting as an expression of art, you start to be able to have a really good sense of what it means to, that accessibility, right? It's like, if you realize that I have a form of artistic expression that is built into my day, that's built into my body, right? Like everyone, I think secretly everyone wishes they could draw. Like I think everyone's secretly like, oh, I wish I could draw that thing, right? I think that's just kind of the way we like that. Like that we think of that as such an impressive talent that we're all like, oh, it'd be great if we could do that. And I wish, oh, if, I, if only I could do that, I'd be an artist, right? Well, we can be artists in small ways with our handwriting. And it's one of those, it's actually one of the only ways that I think, I'm thinking about this, Typing isn't like that. Typing doesn't have, when you press a key, it is agnostic in your brain mm-hmm. from an artistic standpoint. Whether you pressed an A or pressed a B or pressed a C, it is the exact same thing in your brain, right? When you write an A or a B or a C, that is fundamentally different things physically. And I think that that is so elemental in why we feel yeah. writing as important. I, yeah, I, I mean, we could go, we could go really afield talking about typing. There are, of course, some advantages to it. I mean, one of the, I mean, I, when I went to college was near the advent of the basic word processor. Oh my goodness. Which was, which was a revelation, right? So you could, you could type and type and then you could, because I, I was the last year at my high school where um, typing on a typewriter was optional, was it was an elective. I got, I got a C. Uh, don't have great fine motor coordination. Um, after that, keyboarding was required. Um, I think it was the old Apple II. And, but, you know, there's some advantages to it. But the, you know, there was something. In the old typewriter, you had, you had to press the button hard. You had to really, you, you really had to think through because you didn't want to make mistakes because it meant white out, potentially starting over, but, but that also had its advantages in an analogous way, right? That writing has its advantages. That it, it's hard. You, you have to, you know, and then if you're going to write something, you have to cross. I mean, even my, the letter that I wrote, that I started to write to you was, you know, was, hand, I mean, there are crosses and things starting off. And, you know, there were a couple adjustments that are different when I, when I typed it up. But my handwriting stinks, so I almost have to type everything. But I'm trying to figure out a way, Colin, how to encourage more people to to take up the handwriting thing, and more kids. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm I'm thinking about this for the school year at our St. Paul school. Can I? Because of 
how to take, you know, have them take actual handwritten notes and then type them up, you know, because it's such an advantage, especially if you have some attention issues. I think one of the things that helped me a lot when I was, I have in one of these boxes around here, I have like 10 journals from when I was in middle school. I kept buying these really beautiful journals and then never using them because I couldn't bring myself to write in them because I was worried that I was going to mess them up. Right. It's a funny perspective on writing and journaling especially, but I think a lot of people hold themselves to an impossible standard of perfection when they journal and they have this idea in their head of what their journal should look like and their journal should be like. I think that the best thing anyone can do if they're worried about writing in a journal is to write a word or two or 10 in the first page on the first sentence and then scribble one of them out because it immediately ruins it, right? And then that, that, you get that over with, right? I think that that, it's funny, I was thinking about this. I have a method when I write that I specifically, like if I mess up a word or I start doing it, what I'll do is I will kind of, like I'll scribble it out in a specific format, right? And it's solid and it's black or it's blue in my ink, in the ink, right? And I have, I have given myself that that is beautiful enough to, co- that's like, that's, it's, it's permanent, it's not gonna go anywhere, it's ruined and that it's not perfect, but it's also not ugly, right? So I've, some people do one line through, right? That's their version of that, right? But you need to have some version of that. You need to be able to say, I have a method of removing a mistake or adjusting a mistake that I am comfortable with because you can't hold yourself to a, I'm going to write perfectly every time perspective because you'll never start, right? And I think that's the biggest problem with any skill whatsoever, especially now in the modern world, is we have such incredible access to people who are excellent at things that it's very challenging for us to be willing to be bad at something. We have, you can see the world's greatest artists with three clicks of a button. You can see the world's greatest snowboarder, the greatest skier. You can see the greatest rock climber in an instant. That's new, right? It doesn't, you don't even have to go back that far before that wasn't a thing, right? And so because we have access to these people who are shockingly good at things, just impossibly good at things, we have this idea, well, it's like, I can't start. I'll be terrible at it, right? And I think that's going to paralyze all of us forever. This, this is reminding me. Did you ever, did Pastor Shock? Did you ever see the? It's one of most one of the most watched TED talks ever by the late Sir Ken Robinson. It was 06. Did you ever see this? I don't think so. Oh my goodness. What was it about? Uh, he wrote a book that on the subject that became that he wrote called The Element. Um, and in the TED talk, he talks about this, but it also gets exp- You'll dig this. Um, he said something like at, and this is an 06 early Ted talk. If you're not willing to be wrong, you'll never achieve anything. Uh. Yeah. And it's hard to, and it's actually really hard as a small business owner. It's really hard. This is the thing that was on my head when I, when you said you guys were going to do the podcast and we were talking about this and I was talking about, I was thinking about Christ and all things. I talked about this a lot last night with Leah. Cause I was thinking, I'm like, what are we going to talk about <laughs> now? The funny thing is that I am wrong an awful lot in my role. And it's really hard in a, as a small business owner because I got a lot of people counting on me to get it right. I got a lot of people who expect me to get it right. And actually, I think a lot of times they take for granted that I'm going to get it right because it's very hard to go to work if you don't think your boss knows what they're doing, right? It's actually like, that's kind of like the very definition of not enjoying your work is when you go work for people who you know are not good at their job. So it's really hard being in a position. And this is where it goes back to, I, I texted you about this, Pastor Shockman. Oh, what? A couple of months back yeah. where I said, how do we know? We talk about how we look at, you know, we, we pick on Jonah and we pick on all, you know, Gideon's my favorite of all the people to pick on, right? Because we look at them and they're like these great people and it's these heroes of the Bible. And, and don't worry, the Bible makes it very clear that they're very bad at their listening skills. <laughs> like, it's like when God says, go to Nineveh, right? That's as clear as it gets. I wish I could have some of that clarity, right? I wish that was like, I wish it was like turn, you know, I, I was... Yeah. I was joking with Lee. I'm like, it's like, it's not like you go to like Romans six and it says on the seventh day, God said, increase your ad spend on Facebook. Like it's not that clear. Right. So knowing what you're supposed to do, knowing tactically in the moment, in the day, what you're supposed to do, because it's not, you know, we, we always talk about, it's like, well, we want to do God's will. Right. And I'm, I'm using the affective voice for that for a reason. We want to do God's will. Right. Well, that's okay. But if I've got two options and neither of them are sinful, 
right? If I've got two options and both of them are equally likely to work and both of them are equally risky and both of them are, like if I'm looking at two options, and by the way, they're never like that, but they're close, right? A lot of my decisions are, they're a lot foggier than that. I wish it was that clear. Yeah. How do I know not. which one to pick, right? Yeah. How do I know which way to go? And we, it's like, you know, there's this, it was, you know, it's like, you should pray, pray about it, right? And God, sure. God will talk to you. Sure, right? yeah. And God doesn't talk to you, right? You'll pray about it and you just get silence. And my frustration a lot of times with this Christ and all things is I'll pray about it. And then sometimes I'll have kind of like a voice in my head saying, well, this is, you know, it's like, do this. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that could easily be the devil, right? Like yeah. it doesn't have to be God, right? It's not like he's got to show credentials or anything. He's not like going to show me his badge. Like, I don't know that this is God's will, right? Yeah. And it could just be me. It could be my own selfish desire saying, do it this way, right? It's like, how to know what to do next is really, really hard. So, uh, and I, we had talked about this before too. Um, so as, I'll just take that and bring it into my world as pastor, right? When I have a call to serve one congregation and then I'm extended a call by another congregation to come and serve them as pastor, I now have before me two calls, neither of which are sinful, both of which are, in fact, quite God-pleasing. How do you know which one is right and which one is not? And ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to whether you turn to the right or turn to the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Right? So when, when we are about serving our neighbor, when we are about trusting that the Lord is providing for us, trusting that his word is true and that his promises are true and he intends to deliver to us uh, good, albeit his good, maybe not ours, right? When we, uh, when, when we place him first and then do what is in front of us, As your is you know in your in your reference, if if both are just as good and neither one is like objectively obviously sinful, then whichever one you choose is the one that God would have you walk in. Well, that's that's good. I, I mean, it's all is vanity, right? I'm not to date this particular podcast or well, anything, but I was there last Sunday. All is vanity, right? And I and this is where I'm struggling he, a little bit because the reading was from Ecclesiastes he, yes, one and two. Yeah. In that Ecclesiastes and the, the the well, and then the one with the barns. I'm like I'm sitting there going to myself. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like what I'm worried about, right? Because I'm here trying to make a big crop, right? I'm trying to put it in my barns so I can do something else, right? So I can do bigger things. So there's more to do. Well, is that? But you're not trying to store it up for yourself. Well, and that's the issue. Is is is? And this goes back to you know you you were allowed to enjoy God's blessings. Well, okay, but where's the line there, right? Like, it's like, am I, am I allowed to enjoy God? At what point does enjoying God's blessings becoming living for myself? You know, it's like, this is, by the way, I don't expect a good answer. I don't expect any answer because there's not really necessarily uh, 75% of what you're doing is right. Like, it's not like there's a specific technical number of yeah. enjoying, you know, this much of your blessings is, is good and then, you know, you, sh you should be done with that, right? And that's really, really hard. Such an interesting conversation. I would just, you know, Colin, for you and, and for your team, that, I mean, I am, I'm struck by it. You know, I just, I was simply on a journey. I was trying to figure out, I was looking for a hybrid solution. I knew I needed to write again. I knew, and you handwrite again. And so I was looking for this hybrid solution. And somehow... It, maybe it makes me in a feet snob or I don't know, but you know, I, I walked in, I walked in office Depot and I looked at, you know, the Moleskin journal and it didn't, it just didn't look good. I mean, and the paper looked nice and uh, you know, and it was, you know, it's 20 bucks. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a heck of a lot. Of, it's a hell of a lot of money for a bunch of paper. And, yeah. You know, and, and, and then somewhere along the line, I said, Hey, uh, no, well then, that, so then, you know, but so, I mean, it's like, you know, these stupid algorithms pick it up. And then the next thing I know, they're listening to you Never because the, that. the next, the next thing I know, I am seeing advertisements for this beautiful, very simple, just kind of leather wrapping around in a, and that looks amazing. And I had, I had no, I, I, I really didn't. And I'm, I wanted to talk to you about this. Because it really has been an you and your having this stuff has been an an immense actually service to me. 
I mean, you, know, you talk about, I, I, and I'm not, I'm almost teary, but I'm not trying to blow smoke at you because you're a member of my congregation and all. I, because is, you weren't at the time. And you're welcome. You're no, welcome no. to blow smoke at me. If yeah. You like it was, <laughs> I don't have any problem with that no, either. No, well, for, I mean, what I just, I, I it seems, because it's, it's, it's on the one hand, it's an absurd thing to spend, you know, a hundred bucks on a leather cover for a $20 journal. It's like, that is, what the, you know. Absolutely. On the other, on the other hand, there's there was something about it, right? I I'd spent money on this, right? And it felt yes. like the little one that I carry, the my little number two that I carry, kind of just if I need a note that I carry in my back pocket. That thing has a sheen on it now. Oh my gosh, yeah, it is patina. I that's right, it's patina. It's I, the, the back pocket patina. It's oh. beautiful. I actually have one of myself. It's like you put it your is. wallet in your back pocket. Yeah? It's gonna have a beautiful back pocket patina. Yeah. Oh, I just you know, and there's I, I just I love holding it i like you know and i and i the nice paper and then i went out got myself a nice pen you know i buy you know and i didn't want to just go get a pen and now i went looking for is there somebody that makes like a boutique operation so i found this place in texas called tactile turn and i they make good stuff i bought a tactile you know and it's a bolt action yeah they're really neat it's a cool right ridiculous you know i still haven't totally (laughs) figured out the but I, you know, there's something about it. It makes me want to use it. And so it rather than, and so what, what's happened just in terms of sheer productivity, I spent arguably stupid money on an expensive folio, but I write more. I'm capturing more of my thoughts. I know it's right there and there's something different. There is about writing it down then pulling out my phone and making the note, which is nice and it's handy and it's searchable, but there's it's, I'm finding myself actually more productive by pulling that thing out of my back pocket, the tiny little, you know, tiny little moleskin wrapped in some beautiful leather. I'm more productive. And so you guys have done, I mean, and I spent stupid, you know, it seems like I would spend honestly, if knowing what I know now, I mean, my wife would probably puke, <laughs> but knowing what I know now about what that has done, I would spend three times as much money. Well, keep holding yeah. on to that. So I, no, this is, and this is the trouble that I, I think is you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it is something, it, you know, I actually use this line a lot in our marketing and I, I mean it, it's a good marketing line because it's a good line. Cause it's true, which is with something so important, doesn't it deserve something important? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like with something as important as writing your thoughts, and in keeping that for history and for yourself and for your children and for your grandchildren and for all of those things, for something that important, isn't it worth something a little more, right? Isn't it worth going that extra mile to make it better? And I was thinking about this because I have, I gave my father a journal almost right away at the beginning of the company's existence. And he's diligently, dutifully journaled virtually every day I believe since then. And he never did before that. I don't think, I mean, that's not true. I had, I have a journal from him from when he was in residency. Sure. But it's mostly doctor notes. Um, so it's totally illegible. But the, the thing is that I love reading the stuff from his residency notes, even though they're not really anything meaningful. And the notes that he's writing now in his journal, I know that they're going to be something that is going to be an heirloom beyond an heirloom for the next umpty autumn generations. Because when you pick up a leather folio, when you pick up a leather journal, when you pick up something that is obviously of good quality, it puts you in a mindset of quality. It puts you in a, in a higher level of, okay, this, this is, I'm not writing this note to throw it away. Maybe that's what it is. And I think that it puts you, 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 you look at the substance of it, right? And you think to yourself, important things are written in this journal, even if nothing's written in the journal, right? It, 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 it. It's, it's part of the idea of like, we are the stories we tell each ourselves. We are the stories we tell ourselves. And I think in this mindset, in that world, when you pick up a journal that is of quality and of, 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 is, is it tells a story of what you write. Like it's, it's even if it's nothing written in there. Right. And so I think it puts you in the mindset of, I'm going to write something serious. I'm going to write something important. I'm going to, I'm going to use this in a, in a really important way. And I think that that does elevate your capabilities. It elevates what you're working on and what you're doing in a way that is very, difficult to mimic artificially and i mean we 
when I started this, I thought to myself, how I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin boy at heart, right? I'm like I'm like a like a good Midwest Midwestern Lutheran. So the idea that we would charge what we charge for our journals is like it's really hard for me to stomach that. And I'm the one picking the pricing, right? <laughs> and it's it's really difficult. But I realized after a little while of building these things that the problem is that. I kind of have to charge what we're charging because that's what it takes to keep the company going, right? That's what it takes to keep people employed. That's what it takes to keep the lights on and keep buying this expensive leather, which goes up every single time I buy it, it seems like these days. So it's it's a challenge. And I understand that it's hard for me to express to people, especially people from the West, that the... The value is so much more. The, 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 the whole is greater than the sum of its parts in a way that is almost impossible to understand until you experience it, until you see it, until you feel it. Well, this is why I likened it to, I mean, again, I, you know, you're, I'm 52 years old. You know, we listened to Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond. You know, Neil Diamond has had a renaissance lately because of what, Sweet Caroline? Um, ba, ba, ba. Right. But man, you know, so I go to college and I meet, you know, this buddy of mine and his dad was a lawyer at, from the, at, trained at the University of Michigan. And, you know, he listened to blues and I, I'd never heard. I mean, I listened to Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond and ABBA, right? It, so, uh, <laughs> you know, which is, which are fun. But then, I mean, honestly, I watching, I mean, we have dinner in the village in New York, which was amazing. I mean, you know, I'm a kid from Frankenmuth, Michigan. I mean, I'm in New York City having high-end dinner, and he took us out to see a show at Conner, Carnegie Hall. And, and then we're just literally walking down the street, and and John says, oh, my God, McCoy Tyner's here tonight. And I, McCoy what? You know, and, um, and the next thing I know, I mean, and his fingers, I mean, this is big dude playing all over the place, and you can hear the, you know, there was this, you know, there was some smoke in the bar back in the day, right? And the the clink of the glasses, and he's just going, and in play. I just know ne- I'd never. I mean, he and he was absolutely in his element, just and is like nobody. And his it was he was revealing his soul, and it was it was amazing, <laughs> just just to be a part of. Um, and I mean, that seems like an absurd, it, it did. It seems like an absurd comparison, uh, to writing a note in a journal, <laughs> uh, to probably, you know, but I'm telling you, right. There, there is, you hold something beautiful in your hand like that and it compels you to think and write. And that is, um, dare I say, are, are we more human? I, I think that that's true. And I think when we look at what does what does God want for us, it's really hard from time to time, I think, to really understand in a in a day-to-day kind of sense. It's like, okay, what does God want for me today, right? Because you and I talked about it. It's like it's not about how you feel, right? God doesn't necessarily want you to be happy all the time, right? That's kind of a, a misnomer, right? And That's one of our Reformation Tap Society topics this year. Good. Christ in the pursuit of happiness. And this is where it's like, okay, so, you know, it's like, okay, so if God doesn't want you to always be happy all the time, right? Because that's not what God wants, right? What does he want, right? What does God want from you, right? Obviously, it's to serve him and to serve your, your neighbors and your community and to live out his will in your life and in the best way you can, right? And to, to do your best. In that, and in that way, I think it is God-pleasing to write and to record and to express yourself in writing and in that way, because I think it does help you acknowledge in, in much the way that prayer can help you acknowledge things writing in its own sense can, can help you acknowledge the realities of your blessings. Right. And it can help you acknowledge the realities of the world you live in because you don't think of them in tangible methods. You don't think of, you think of your life many ways in abstraction because we think of everything theoretically in abstraction. And it isn't until you write down I'm so grateful that I was able to get my car fixed today, right? It's something like that, right? Writing down or I went to the car place to get my car fixed today and it was, you know, a lot more expensive than I would have liked it to be, but I'm glad I have my car back, right? It's something, a simple line like that kind of forces you to go, it's a good thing I have a working car, right? It's a good thing I have a car, right? You start to count your blessings. Even in the very recounting of your day, you start to see them. And it's hard sometimes in the moment to see the blessings. It's hard sometimes to experience. And actually that's one of the best 
things about my job. I get to see the miracles happen in real time. There have been many times that this has happened, but there's one time specifically that is just a good one that I thought of a lot because it's it was arguably the first time it happened in such a dramatic way. It was 2019. It was the fall of 2019. We had no money. We were out. It was I payroll was later that day. I had to come up with payroll money that day, and we did not have the money. Period. We weren't even close. We were about four thousand dollars away from our payroll that day. Now. At that point, $4,000 would have been three days worth of sales. It was never going to happen. There was no universe where it would happen. And, you know, it's like Martin Luther, you know, I have too much to get done today, not spend an hour in prayer. Yeah. I sat down, I prayed, and I said, okay, God, I, I cannot make this happen. If this happens, it is all you. I don't even think I got through the word amen before my phone rang, right? Because God has a really good sense of humor. <laughs> and the phone rang, and it was someone who, for the last six weeks, had said, I got to get this bulk order done. I got to get this bulk order done. And every time I called him back, he kind of pushed it off and pushed it off, pushed it off, pushed it off. And I thought to myself, this is never going to happen. I barely got through. The phone rings. It's him. I need to get this done today. We'll cut you the check. I'll get it sent over via the bank deposit. It'll it'll be in your bank later today. We'll get it done by wire. And I need twice as much as we originally had planned on. Can you do that? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And we made payroll, right? Now that's one instance. The answer is Yes. Yes, of course. And and this is one of those things where that was one instance of this. I've had that happen many, many times, right? I, I it's As long as you kind of are expect, as long as you look for the miracles, you start to see them. And in my line of work, and as a, as a small business owner, I get to see the prayer for blessings come to fruition in the form of big bulk orders that just come out of nowhere, right? I have no way to there's no other way to justify that other than to say that that's God's action, right? Because, I mean, as, as much as we like to say, it's God putting that ad in front of that person at the time that they needed to see it in the situation that they needed to see it in, and that was what caused them to move to the next step, right? I mean, it's like we like, you know, we don't, I hate the idea of God working through Mark Zuckerberg, but here we are, right? So at some level, this is, you know, even through God, God can, can do all things, right? Hey. <laughs> what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? Cyrus. <laughs> exactly, you right? Know? So this is where... I get to see that. And that is a huge blessing, right? And it's important, I think, when I document my day and when I write about my day, for me to write those things down because it helps me remind me that that is a blessing. It helps remind me that that is God working in my life. And that's, I think, huge in that. I think that's really critical. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I said I was the host at the beginning of this hour, which is we're coming up on an hour that we've been sitting here jawing about this. Uh, and I haven't done much to host anything. Uh, so this is kind of like when we did the interview with Jill George and I just sat there and yeah. about cried the whole time. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Um, that was great. It was uh, great. If you haven't listened to that one yet, folks, go listen to those two episodes uh, with Jill George, the principal of the year uh, from last year. Uh, current principal at St. Paul's Lutheran School in Oconomowoc. Um, as we start trying to wrap this up a little bit here, um, Lance, I want to ask you a question, and then Colin, I want to ask you a very similar question. Sure. So, uh, Lance, I want to ha- I want to get you to talk a little bit about, um, and here I am addressing you like we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, okay, Pastor O'Donnell. Yeah. You, I should I'm say La- I'm Lance too. That's fine. Yeah, I know. But not to him. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about um, the first time you actually held these Murdy products mm. in your hand. And, and knowing that, um, when, I, when, I, when I first asked you if you had seen these Murdy products, uh, you, you had mentioned, oh, yeah, I think I've seen those on Facebook. And I said, you know, he's one of ours. Uh, yeah, I remember it slightly differently. Okay. And I remember it in a much more geeky way. Yeah. How do you remember that? that? What I remember is I went through this process of seeing, and I ended up seeing ads for the Murdy creative company and I was sticker shocked, but man, I thought they were beautiful. And then this, then this young man and his beautiful young wife and little boy come to worship. Yeah. And I see you, I, you know, and I see you talking to him after after church in the office um and i said something like yeah who's that you know couple you're talking to and you said something like oh I was oh yeah colin yeah colin, colin murdy and then colin murdy and and then you just said kind of matter factfully matter factly oh colin murdy murdy came in and i said murdy 
as in Murdy Creative Company? And and you said, oh, yeah, I've known him since he's a kid. I said, and I, I literally almost wet myself. <laughs> I, I, and I said, you're kidding. I said, no, you're calling him, and we're going on a field trip as soon as possible. That was great. It was a fun field trip. It was a good time. And so and so uh, then we we haul ourselves up here to Horicon, uh, and and I want you to talk a little bit about when we walked into the shop, because you were like a kid at Christmas. You well, really were. It was actually really fun for me to maybe, watch you. Maybe you should. Uh, I don't know. When you first held one of those puppies in your hand, like what? What was your reaction? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do know. I loved the feel of it. I, I, I yeah. knew. I had a sense for what went into it. It was beautiful. Um. I felt I felt this the same the same way that I honestly very similar way that I felt a year or so ago when I got behind the wheel of a sports car with a manual transmission like oh my gosh this is amazing you know um that's what it felt I mean in in there right and I got to see how the how it was made which is always incredibly cool to me and and I love I I love 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 meeting people who put absolutely everything on them on their on the line to try and you know to hang out their own shingle i mean i i have the most prof- i mean my brother did it last year after years and years and years of corporate he got canned a week into you know national sales vice president a week into covid they canned him and he said enough you know i could think of all the words i can't say on here um <laughs> you know and please and, don't and and shane hang hunt is hung out you know he said did some research his wife is hanging out his own shingle and I'm so proud of him, you know, cause my dad would never, could never do it. My, you know, my dad couldn't take the risk. You know, he had been a poor kid. He just, he had to stay corporate. He just couldn't take the risk. And so to see you do it, I just, I, to meet you, I mean, you're kind of like a celebrity in my world. <laughs> well, so, I appreciate that. So Colin, I want you to talk a little bit about that, that first time when we showed up, uh, at the, at the, uh, at workshop the, the workshop at the where you guys assemble all these beautiful other things right uh, we walk in i knew what you were thinking from from the moment we walked through the door yeah i knew you knew and it's funny because it was so funny that that i don't he didn't pick it up like i was like how did he not pick it up right I, it's funny but you know the, just, just just to comment on that thing you said earlier about putting out your own you know that you couldn't take the risk there is this weird false sense of security that people have in their jobs and i don't understand where they get it from just to clarify, all of you who are listening, you can be fired at any time for any reason. That can happen, right? So if the idea that I need this job is what's stopping you from going out and doing something that you think is worthwhile and good, that's just a lie you're telling yourself. And not a very good one at that, right? It's comforting, but it's a very real lie. You could, you, you might not have your job tomorrow, right? And by the way, that doesn't mean you're going to get fired, right? There's a lot of things that can happen that can make it so that you aren't having your job anymore. So... It's always worth, in my opinion, trying it at the very least. And by the way, I'm not saying you have to like quit your job and go do this for 40 hours. I did this in the weekends in part time for the beginning, right? I didn't have to go straight from, you know, nothing to something. I mean, it, it goes it yeah. goes slow at first. But it was funny because when you said, hey, can we come see the workshop? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Come on. Right. And we went to lunch and then we went to the workshop. And, um, you know, you're uh, you're bastard, you're. Pastor O'Donnell is, is walking around with, with his daughter and they're looking at everything and he's picking, he's like, oh, this is really great. And I could tell he's kind of like hemming and hawing about like what he really wants a lot of stuff and he can't get it because he's like, oh, I don't like this. And it's expensive. Like I get it. You're a pastor, right? So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, he really wants that and he really wants that and he really wants that. And I'm like, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. He's going to love the way this ends. No, I, and I was, I was literally, because I had been planning, the minute I, the minute I found out that the the maker of this product was a was a Lutheran guy. I was I was going to buy something, so I went into your shop, expect with my checkbook, expecting to write a check. Fully. So I mean, I, I which is hilarious. That, anyway, so, so he, fully. So which is hilarious. So he's walking around looking at all these different things. You're watching all the things he's picking up. You're making a list of all the stuff you're sending him home with. It's, it's funny because I was I knew first off I knew when you coming to visit. I'm like. He's, he's going to pick out stuff. He's going to get it for free. He's going to walk out with it because that's how it works. Because you know who my parents are. I know, Pastor, I, I Pastor, know who you are. Pastor Jason knows. Well, I appreciate that. means a lot. Pastor There's, Jason knows who my parents are. And I, I, I'm very proud of my parents. And I'm very proud of 
the example that they set for me my entire life. My father was a doctor, is a doctor, and uh, my mother, well, there's so many things that she is, you couldn't quite encompass that in one word, but she and, and my father were, she came from a pastor's family, right? A Lutheran pastor who was, uh, anyway, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of small, there's a lot of children in that family, and so they lived a very modest life. And my mom and my father did a great job caring for our pastors. That was a priority to mm. them yeah. through any opportunity and every opportunity. And I think they did a wonderful job of that. And it's funny to me because I've been waiting for a good opportunity to do that for a long time. I mean, it's like I've been waiting for a good opportunity to do that. And, you know, it's funny because they had a question. There was at my, one of my, um, I did this, uh, this Dale Carnegie thing which is really fun for unleadership. And one of the things they ask is how do you want to be remembered? Which is a really interesting question. Yeah. That's a really deep question. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was funny cause I realized the one thing I want to be remembered for other than obviously, you know, like I hate to say like good father. And I was like, yeah, I mean like the basic things that I think are fundamental, right. Being a good family man, you know, being a good leader, right. To me, I want to be remembered as being generous. And I think that that's something where it's, it's, the best opportunity to you, you, when you can practice generosity, that's when it's fun, right? That's when you can actually do it. And so for me, it was really, really fun having you come. Cause I knew what I was, I knew how this was going to end. And then it was just, it was great. It was an amazing opportunity. And, and he's making this st- starting to make stuff for me while we're in the shop. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be a bit more expensive than I thought, but man, this stuff is cool. Yeah. So, it's funny. <laughs> and, and by the way, I was going to say, I appreciate the support you've given us since then. Right. So again, Don't think I haven't noticed that too. So but. again, I'm walking or I'm walking around watching you kind of ooh and ah forcing me to make that a stupid abomination and and watching colin watching you do what you do i was having a good time i was and you were having a ball you were in your element like if if there's ever a moment colin in your life where i have seen you reflect david and karen sue more i haven't found it oh well that's very sweet and i'm gonna cry here but okay uh and then uh, you built me an abomination, which I love. Ugh, gross. Which I love. Uh, if you that want a, more, that is a nun on the market. Uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I at this point, it's unfortunately we don't have enough nuns anymore in the world to stop the left-handed people from you know becoming yes. a thing. So we are going to have to do it. And frankly, to be completely honest, I've been looking for a good opportunity for a product we can launch that's going to be low impact. Shameless and plug. Really easy low impact project that I guess should just launch. But yes. yeah, he. You want to. For the listeners who are listening, he wanted one of our travel cut folios, which is a classic folio where the legal pad is on the in the proper spot on the right-hand side and the pocket is on the left-hand side, like they're supposed to be designed because most people should be right-handed. Unless you're left-handed. Unless you're left-handed, in which case... And then it's on the wrong side. It isn't on the wrong side. It is on the correct side and you're, you're wrong-sided. But that being said, the customer's always right, especially when he's your pastor, and... You have to, so I made him one where I inverted it. We put the pocket on the right-hand side, and we put the notepad on the left-hand side, and... It's a thing of beauty. Yeah, he's a happy boy. It's a thing of beauty. He is happy, and the problem is it's probably there's more left-handed people out there. And so, uh, you you may look for that. Just We'll just label it the abomination. Uh, You can't market that. You can't market it that way, (laughs) Colin. uh, Every left-handed person in the world would love it. So, um... I, we really need to wrap up uh, because Colin, you have work to do and, and we have things that we need to get back to. Uh, but young man, I, I, I so appreciate the time that you give to us, uh, the support that you give to us. And uh, if this in any way is a way that we can support you, um, we're glad to do it. So uh, folks, check out Murdy Creative Company. That's uh, M-U-R-D-Y <laughs> creative.co on your local website. Also, you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a Discord server, so you can join our Discord server if you're into that kind of thing. Is that is it the Murdy Creative Company on Discord? It or? is. It is the Murdy Creative Company on Discord. And I also have a link. And if you go to my podcast, which is just Murdy Creative Co. on YouTube or on any of the podcast apps you listen on, um, there is the most recent episodes especially have the discord link, the URL at the top of the description. So you can join our discord. And we'll, we'll put that, we'll put that in when we post this. See, and then yes. And and if you ever, we are not a retail location just because of the nature of our space, but I would love to have guests and visitors come and visit us. So if you would like to come and see the workshop and you'd like to come out, your pick out your piece of leather and all of that good stuff, you can feel free to reach out to us on the website and just say, Hey, I'm a local person and I'd love to come and see it. We'll be happy to set up a time to have you come. And then spend serious money. Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, 
Colin, again, thank you uh, for letting us come out to your house and sit and chat with you. Uh, it is always a pleasure uh, to talk about how God is at work, even in the midst of what we cannot see, uh, that Christ is in all things uh, providing for us that which we need the most. Uh, and and for you, uh, that's also, and you, the listener, that's also the assurance that uh, though we may fall short of the glory of God, Christ in all things offers to us his forgiveness full and free, uh, that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom to serve him in all that we do. Amen. Amen. Or something like that. For show notes and other information about this or other episodes of Christ in All Things, visit ChristInAllThings.org. Comments may be emailed to comments at ChristInAllThings.org. To support Christ in All Things, click the donate page at either ChristInAllThings.org or SPLCO.org. In thanks for a one-time gift of $100 or more, you receive a pair of nerdy blue light blocking glasses with the Christ in All Things logo on them. Pastor Shockman loves these. That is so not true. Patrons who subscribe for a monthly gift of $20 or more will have early access to the show and receive some on-air clapping, as well as a pair of Wisconsin-made Christ in All Things hiking socks. Gifts of $1,000 or more will receive thunderous on-air clapping <laughs> and a word of thanks, plus a handmade leather Christ in All Things folio by the Murdy Creative Company. For a gift of $10,000 or more, we will go bleepin' bananas. <laughs> Do a happy dance and take the show on the road to your home or wherever it is you'd like to fly us to record with you. All post-production surplus supports youth ministry at St. Paul's. Thank you for your support. Christ in All Things is a production of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. For more information about St. Paul's, visit splco.org, email us at info at splco.org, or call us at 262-567-5001. Intro, outro music, setting by Joseph Hurl, copyright 1998, Concordia Publishing House, used with permission.